Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Ask about Hamas. Is Joe Biden too old? Age is but one factor to consider when evaluating a candidate for any position. <laughs> Age is nothing but a number. <laughs> this is Political Breakdown from KQED in San Francisco. I'm Scott Schaefer. Today on The Breakdown, as we do most Fridays, the KQED politics team joins me to talk about some of the top stories in politics and look ahead to next week, including the New Hampshire presidential primary on Tuesday. Kind of a make or break day for Nikki Haley if she's going to have any chance of catching Donald Trump and winning the Republican nomination for president. But we begin with a little bit of news. Many have said that in 2026, it's time for California to finally elect a woman governor. Well, as the most qualified candidate running for governor, who also happens to be a woman, I agree. That's Tony Atkins, the president pro tem of the state Senate. She announced in San Diego this morning that she's running for governor in 2026. That is when Gavin Newsom is termed out and unable to run again, in case you're wondering. And that election for California governor is a couple years off, but I think Atkins may be hoping to become the first woman governor. Uh, She's also the third woman to say she's running, so she's going to have some competition. Uh, And here to dig into that and some other political stories are KQD's politics correspondents, Marisa Lagos and Guy Marzarati. Happy Friday, guys. Happy Friday. So let's begin with this announcement uh, in San Diego at the Air and Space Museum. Um, obviously, she's going to rely heavily on her bio, uh, Marisa, as she did when she talked with us a uh, couple just times. Recently, in the, yeah, yeah, just recently. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she grew up in Appalachia. She's one of, I think, four kids to a coal miner father and a seamstress mother. She's a twin, actually. Kind of interesting. Um, and when she was growing up, you know, she lived in a house that didn't have its own source of Running water, right? I messed yep, that up. Running water, yes. Yeah, not electricity. <laughs> not water. electricity. But you know, it, it was a very sort of rural, I think, you know, childhood and in, in a place that is obviously pretty conservative. Um, and she's talked really openly about, you know, coming out as a lesbian and kind of what it meant to her that her family still embraced her. Um, but she did move to California, I believe, for college, um, and really kind of threw her hat into public service. Um, and has been, you know, I think. I would say one of the most sort of liked politicians in Sacramento. She's not a controversial figure. She seems to get along with a lot of people. Yeah, for sure. And she was Senate president pro temp. She is now until February. She was the speaker of the assembly. So Guy, I mean, it really does speak to, you know, to Marisa's point that she knows how to get along with people, including people she may not, you know, agree with on everything. Yeah. I mean, look, Atkins can tell a story that in her time, the state legislature went from being a punchline, a joke 
to probably the most impactful deliberative body in America. Whether or not you agree on the direction the legislature has taken in her time in the last 14 years on pro-housing, pro-labor, pro-criminal justice reforms, that's all on wax. And it comes out in a time when Congress has basically been gridlocked. You add that into the biography, the you know history that she could make uh, in potentially winning this seat. Counter that with she's about to be termed out and about to go on ice for a couple years when very few voters know who she is. Yeah, and it's a big state. It takes a lot of money to you know get known. Right. I mean, my sort of counterpoint to that for Guy is nobody knows any of the other candidates yet either, right? I mean, so who else has said they're running, has actually started raising money? Lieutenant Governor Eleni Kunalakis. Um, I wouldn't say even with a statewide election, she's a huge household name. Right. Uh, State Superintendent of Education, Tony Thurmond. Um, and then we're expecting an official launch. She's talking about it openly, but Betty Yee, former controller, state Dem party leader. Um, I think what really, you yeah. know, in terms of Kunalakas, you're right. I don't think people know really who any of these folks are. But one thing she does have, Guy, is a lot of money. Like, I think several million dollars in the bank, which is going to help for sure. So I did look this up Uh Kunalakis has about $3.7 million in the bank. Atkins has $2.3 million in her old account. So she's not starting from a deficit, we should say. No, that's for right. sure. And you can transfer between state accounts. The thing is, Kunalakis and then State Superintendent Tony Thurman, they're going to be in office until 2026. Mm-hmm. So there's an earned media potential there from just kind of doing their day jobs as state officials. How's that I going, argue, guy? Yeah, yeah, I well, mean, how we, much we can talk about that. <laughs> but I would argue there's no candidate that has more potential uh, for that you know, earned media growth than Attorney General Rob Bonta. He has yeah. not announced that he's running for governor. There's a lot of speculation about that. But look, he's in a position, AG, they call it aspiring governor. He's in a position where where he's out there every day. Voters can see him fighting everything from organized crime uh, to laws targeting transgender students. And, oh, by the way, if Donald Trump wins in November, who is going to be filing the 475 lawsuits next year against the Trump administration? It's going to be Rob Bonta. Yeah, for sure. That said, you know, if we have five or six Democrats and there may be more running, all you need, as we're seeing maybe in the Senate race, is one legitimate uh, Republican who can consolidate the vote uh, as opposed to a top two runoff between the top two Democrats. That's way in the future. Sure. And also, like, I think as opposed to the Senate race, people will start paying attention to the governor's race a little sooner because of the timing of it. It's not in a presidential year. Um, I, You know, I think it is absolutely wide open. I think all of these candidates have a case to make. Um, I think Atkins has a very strong one on her record. Um, but it's, yeah, it's a giant state and it takes a lot. And I think, um, I mean, we have seen, I, I will say, I, I threw out some numbers. Thurman has only raised about $665,000. And so, and I do think, I mean, he's been in office already. This is his second term as state superintendent. He's not dominated the airwaves. He, and he, I think he, you know, has a lot of critics from how he handled COVID. And I think that's going to be a relevant question. So much can change in the candidate field. What does LaFonza Butler do when she right. leaves the Senate next year? Kamala January? Harris, if, if they don't get reelected. Yes. You know, there's there's so many possibilities. Well, let me, I just, I do wonder about this one point, which is today, the person who introduced um, Tony Atkins is somebody else from San Diego, the Secretary of State, Shirley Weber. Do either of you think it's a little odd to have a secretary of state who's in charge of elections uh, already endorsing one of the candidates whose election she will be overseeing as secretary of state? Marisa? 
that is definitely going to come up. <laughs> I mean, it's a hard one. I do think, you know, it is an elected position and she has the sort of legal right to do that. I think obviously that speaks to, you know, a close relationship with Atkins. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see how Democrats react to that. Usually the attacks we see on the Secretary of State and their sort of partisanness is by Republicans angry about ballot measure, um, you know, initiative titles, titles, and, yeah, titles yeah. and summaries. So we'll see. But, I, you know, it, it's... It's a choice. <laughs> yeah, guy, you know, I think Padilla, actually, who was the secretary of state before he was appointed by Newsom uh, to the Senate, he did endorse, uh, I think, Newsom for governor. Um, I mean, yeah, you know, I, this has been an ongoing thing. I, I did reporting on this when Newsom was facing a recall right after he had appointed Weber as the secretary of state. And there was a lot of conversation around, oh, you know, should this person now be overseeing this process and, and setting the calendar and all that for the recall when they've just been appointed by the governor? Um as you said, this is we've now seen multiple Secretary of States wade into the political waters. I think there's probably less maneuverability Weber has to change the outcome or change really anything about the governor's race in 2026. So I don't think this is a big deal. One little inside baseball thing, Marisa, and I think you know about this. So we have not had women uh, governors. We have not had a woman governor. But, but Tony Atkins did actually sign uh, some legislation. Bills, yeah. yeah. Talk about that. How did that happen? Um, yeah. So, you know, if the governor leaves the state because we haven't updated our constitution in 100 years, um, he has to hand off uh, the title of acting governor to someone else. Usually it goes automatically to the lieutenant governor. But if in this case she's gone to the Senate, President Pro Tem is the next in line. And apparently Atkins had wanted to sign a couple of bills and um, some kind of pretty technical things, uh, landed on the governor's desk. Uh, well, he was out of town, and so she did get to sign them. I don't know that that's going to be like a winning argument in the no, no, gubernatorial race, yeah. but I think it is, you know, it's a tiny feather in her cap. It's something you. I think you'll hear her talk about in terms of her record, in terms of like, you know, I've sat in that chair temporarily, whatever, but I mean, <laughs> that's not going to be the thing. Out of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we have plenty of time to talk about that race, but it is interesting how early people are jumping into that race even though it is not officially till uh, 2026. All right, we are going to take a very quick break. And when we return, we'll continue our conversation with Marisa Lagos and Guy Marzarati. I'm Scott Schaefer. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.
And welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Shaver here with my colleagues on the KQED Politics Desk, Guy Marzarati and Marisa Lagos, my Political Breakdown co-host. Um, so let's talk a little bit about next week. Tuesday is the New Hampshire primary. And uh, this would seem, Guy, to be, again, Trump's to lose. Uh, but, you know, there's some suggestion maybe Nikki Haley has got some advantages in the state. How do you see it? I mean, fewer and fewer suggestions, right? Even her top backers, the governor of that state, who just a couple months ago was talking about a a romp, a wide win for Nikki Haley, is now saying, well, a second place finish would be uh, acceptable and something that we're aiming for. I think it's I I think it's really a time. And this is given look, the reason people are talking about New Hampshire and Nikki Haley is the outsized role that independents and even Democrats are allowed to play. Uh, in the Republican primary. If she can't win here, where can she win? I think that's the question. Um, And for me, I think it's maybe time to start a conversation about what her role is going forward into November, because you did see some really interesting uh, entrance polling in the Iowa caucus that a majority of the folks who supported Haley in Iowa said they would not vote for Trump in November. Haley herself said she would vote for Trump over Joe Biden in November. So what role is she going to play a Chris Christie type role of, you know, even if I'm out of the race, I'm going to do everything I can to prevent Trump from winning. What is she doing? I mean, this is like the million dollar question because she's held her punches for so long. She did not go after Trump until recently. I think it made a lot of people like myself think, well, she was sort of hoping maybe she would get VP or another, you know, cabinet position if he gets reelected. And then in recent days, she's sort of gone after him in a different way. But at the same time, apparently she's only doing like one event a day in New Hampshire. She's not taking any questions ever since that just total miss on slavery and the Civil War, it it feels like she doesn't know what lane she's in. Yeah, well, and, you know, I think she's hoping to come in first, but she's also sprinting right after New Hampshire to South Carolina, her home state, where today the senator, Tim Scott, who ran for governor for president unsuccessfully endorsed Donald Trump today. So and she's not polling very well. She's not polling in her own state where she has literally 100 percent name ID. And there is a movement already to keep her off the ticket uh, from some of the more conservative conservative elements of the party, which is pretty much the whole party. Um, I want to just pivot. There isn't a uh, an official, um, you know, Joe Biden is not on the ballot in New Hampshire. The Democrats, uh, the party took that away from New Hampshire and they wanted South Carolina to be the first primary. But Dean Phillips from Minnesota, Who? the Democrat, is running for uh, for president. And there's a write-in Biden. The congressman, say. yeah. And there's a write-in Biden campaign. So it will be interesting just to see how Biden does. But Perhaps more interesting news today from in the Washington Post that uh, there is an uh, AI billionaires, uh, sort of Silicon Valley billionaires, uh, are putting money into a super PAC to help Dean Phillips using a bot, which, yeah. Marisa, you have actually been in touch with. And you can go to, is it Dean? Dot bot. Uh, dot bot. Dean, yeah. uh, it's not well, his. Let's, let's yeah, call him up let's and call see him what up. he has to say. Ask some questions. Where do you stand on abortion? I believe in a woman's right to choose, and that access to safe and legal abortion is a fundamental aspect of health care. It's a decision that should remain between a woman, her family, her faith. Ask about Hamas. Is Joe Biden too old? Age is but one factor to consider when evaluating a candidate for any position. <laughs> Age is nothing but a number. <laughs> it's the energy, vision, and commitment to American values that truly matter. Sure. Ask him uh, if he listens to Political Breakdown. Where do you stand on whether there should be a ceasefire in the conflict between Israel and Hamas? The conflict between Israel and its adversaries is complex and deeply personal to me. I believe in Israel's right to exist and defend itself, and I also believe in the human rights and self-determination of the Palestinian people. 
A ceasefire is necessary to prevent further loss of life and to create a space for a lasting and just resolution. Yeah, so there you go. I mean, that, that is fascinating, scary, also a window into how AI could be used or misused. Uh, and, and, and Guy, you know, again, it's just a reminder, it's going to be harder and harder as we get into this election year to tell what's real and what's not. Yeah, and this is something, I mean, it, this even came up uh, with deep fake technology a few years ago in the, in the California legislature where that was banned. But I think you're going to start to see perhaps more regulations around AI in this election because it's proliferating. There's going to be the use of it. And honestly, in, in ways that might seem a little insider or boring, think about like stock imagery in advertisements, right? Not the candidate talking, but the American flags waving, the family sitting around the kitchen table crying over their bills, like that kind of stuff. Companies like Adobe have pretty big stock libraries with AI-generated images. Things like that. I think campaigns, they could save a lot of money not having to license video footage from a stock library and just using AI tools to create it. Well, it's interesting in that it's sort of a simulated interview between a Washington Post reporter and uh, this AI-generated Dean Phillips. They ask, like, what's the use of AI in campaigns? And he's basically giving the industry's spiel in his voice, you know, saying, well, we have to be careful and have some regulations, but it could be transformative. Uh, And I think that's also a little problematic. Like, who is, I know he hasn't, that's not his, he hasn't sanctioned that, Marisa, but, you know, it's kind of putting his toe into that water. Uh, And he also is aligning himself with somebody who, for example, is very opposed to DEI uh, and who went after the Harvard. Bill Ackman, who went after the Harvard president. Well, not just went after the Harvard president, but after Business Insider did some excellent reporting on Bill Ackman's wife and the fact that she essentially had similar, you know, potential sort of accusations of plagiarism against her academic work. He apparently contacted their parent company and has pushed back. So somebody who, you know, is is kind of. I would argue trying to undermine First Amendment, you know, media rights um, playing in a presidential campaign. A little disturbing. I mean, on the AI thing, I think this is I think the bigger sort of threat in the near term is not necessarily, you know, the presidential race, but in smaller races where you have media markets that have been gutted, you know, by consolidation. And there's not somebody watching that one city council race, that one legislative race, uh, you know, take it down to a school board level. And there could, you know, a lot of these tools are very open now. And, you know, there's just the potential. And we've seen it already. um, Not always again like sometimes in the the vein of this bot where it's a little bit more transparent or it's not you know an attack Nefarious, on somebody but yeah. it's still it's troubling but yeah and also you know guy just think for example uh, right before the election an ai generated image or video of uh, say joe biden falling down the stairs mm. you know things that will reinforce maybe some concerns people have about his age i mean it, it is you know, that train has left the station. I mean, talk about, you know, having to regulate it and rein it in. I think, uh, I don't know, I just don't see that that's really going to be even possible uh, in this wild west uh, of the Internet and, and AI that we're living in. Just real quick uh, before we end, uh, looking ahead to that primary, um, do you think, Marisa, does Joe Biden have anything writing on this? I mean, obviously, a vote for Dean Phillips is a protest, is a not Biden vote. It's not so much for him. There is an effort to get a lot of write-in votes for Biden. Like, does that matter? I think it's really going to depend on turnout. If it's just like a handful of people voting for Dean Phillips, that's one thing. If it looks like there's like an actual kind of groundswell of opposition to Biden by Democrats, maybe that could be another. 
but New Hampshire is a tiny state. Um, I think Biden has bigger sort of worries. <laughs> he does, but he needs to win New Hampshire, right? Ultimately, yeah. you know, and it is a pretty purple, purple state. Guy, any any final thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think I've yet to see Dean Phillips gain traction there. There was a photo uh, that was making its way around Twitter and in the last couple of weeks of him holding a coffee meeting greet with voters and just sitting by himself because no one showed up to actually uh, talk with them. <laughs> maybe they were all talking to the bot. Yeah, maybe. A little more entertaining in some ways. Well, we will keep an eye on the bot and the election and the election results and uh, everything else. And Marisa, next week you'll be down in L.A. for the Senate debate between the Four top candidates. Four top candidates, yeah. So we'll be hearing from you next week. We'll be watching that debate, and we'll see what happens. All right, Guy Marzarati, Marisa Lagos, thank you so much. Have a great weekend. You too. Have a nice weekend. And that is a wrap for Friday, January 19th. Political Breakdown is a production of KQED. Our engineer is Jim Bennett. Our producer is Izzy Bloom. Our team includes Marisa Lagos, Guy Marzarati, Molly Solomon, Otis R. Taylor Jr., and Ethan Tobin Lindsay. I'm Scott Schaefer. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you Monday. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.